you start listening to full discographies, you begin to notice certain trends. For example, inevitably, and very often in the mid-70s, every band is going to take a misguided stab at reggae. If they haven't, then they'd either broken up before they got the chance, or they just haven't had enough time. Now you would think that Can would be a great candidate to make reggae. I'll let me not finishing that thought do the speaking for me. So Can did the other thing the bands did in the mid to late 70s. They made a disco track. Now you would think that Can would be a great candidate to make disco. And they are. It even yielded them a top 40 UK hit. You heard me right. Top 40 UK hit. I Want More is a lot of fun. It even landed them a spot on top of the pops. Their invitation was so sudden, they couldn't even get the full band together. They went on without Michael, who was gallivanting somewhere in Kenya. While his Top of the Pops is famously a mime performance, they chose somebody who looked as far from Michael as they could find. An afroed white guy in sunglasses. Was he Lou Reed? We'll never know. Unfortunately, the band was unable to get much momentum behind I Want More. Ehrman injured his back while moving a washing machine, and was thus unable to tour for the album. Still, for many in the UK, 1976's Flow Motion stands as their first can album. I don't want to say that this is a terrible album. It's not. Some people even consider it a hidden gem of their catalog. I quite like, for example, the mysterious Smoke. It's a lot more ambient and weird than the rest of the album, and just feels more like a can track. But I think it's clear that the fire has gone. This is just a band going through the motions. When listening to this, you have to wonder if Can has any self-awareness at all. If they never actually knew what it was that made them good. In the end, Reggae Can would ultimately prove a dead end for the group. Changes were on the way. Can started with four young men who wanted to use the avant-garde to create something that had never been done before. It was a rejection of virtuosity, of convention. Their goal was just to create. But success started to change them. They had fans to worry about. They were on a major label. They had even had a top 40 hit. Everyone was starting to master their instruments, but one member was beginning to be left behind. Olger's attention was always split between playing bass and trying to make something coherent from the piles of tapes the band was generating. Also, with the 16-track recorder, it was easier to isolate their weaknesses. As time went on, the band became more and more let down by his playing, and at some point, Olger decided it was time to find his replacement. In 1977, Holger met the Jamaican Roscoe Gee at a recording for a UK television spot, and the two hit it off immediately. Next thing you know, Roscoe was traveling to Germany to jam a bit. Yaki was notoriously picky about his rhythm partners, but Roscoe fit right in. Sometimes, I wonder if Holger inviting Roscoe was a bluff, a chance to say, yeah sure, I'm not the most technical bassist in the world, but let's see what happens when we add somebody else. Holger's skill was in always choosing just that right note. 
He was content just strumming the same one or two note patterns into infinity. But these notes were often catchy and grounded the band in even their most extreme freakouts. Roscoe was completely different. He was flashier, played lots of notes. He was a jazz player, fresh off a stint with the late era traffic, and he brought with him his old bandmate, the Ghanaian Rebop Kwaku Ba. And this was just a kick the band needed. Michael had returned from a trip to Africa, buzzing with ideas. And here the band was with an actual African percussionist. It was only inevitable that they would go full Paul Simon, but they did it before it was uncool. Thus far we've heard Funky Can, Glam Can, Disco Can, Reggae Can. Well, 1977's Saw Delight shows us Afrobeat Can. If you're expecting some deep Fay funk, you will be disappointed. A lot of this sounds like something you'd expect a grilled cheese sandwich vendor at a fish show to be pumping. Hopefully enough of you have been to Bonnaroo to know what I mean. If you find live material from this era, you can hear that Can could still rip it up. It's just a shame they couldn't capture that in the studio. But you can tell that Yaki and Rebop were having a blast. Eno and Talking Heads would take this formula to the stratosphere, but it doesn't fully work for Can. I think the 15-minute polyrhythmic jam, Animal Waves, comes the closest to showing the potential of this sound, but ultimately, it's pretty aimless. What about Holger, you may ask? Well, he stayed with the band, adding experimental effects using wave generators, found sounds, telephones, and a shortwave radio to add textures to the music. One could say that he was pioneering the art of sampling. I think his contributions added some personality to what would otherwise be a pretty bland album. But when they played live, he just got stuffed in the corner. And ultimately, Holder began the transition from a band member to somebody who was just, quote, slowly fading out with strange noises. <laughs> 